You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. All right, Emily, appreciate that. All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Dusty. Um, Theoretically, one of the pastors here. The reason I say theoretically is that I've been off all summer pretty much, um, and I, the, the church gifts um, its uh, directors and above on staff with every seven years a sabbatical. And um, uh, one of the, my favorite things about Redeemer is that um, just its deep investment in its leaders, that both our elders as well as our, a lot of our staff leaders, that there'd be some endurance and the ability to still be doing this, Lord willing, down the road. And so it's just an investment in me and my family. And I want you to know I had so much fun, uh, truly. I, I, was, I was really relational. It was a blast. I was outside a bunch almost every day. Everybody, kind of, I guess, gets renewed and um, all that in different ways. But I think I fished 45 days um, over the summer. And so it was, and I got to, I got to avoid, oh, wow, how about that? Uh, thanks, guys. Um, and so I had a, really, it was an incredible time. But here's what I want you to know, is that I guess the point of it about, you know, renewal and all of that, just to rest and spiritually be recharged, emotionally, physically, that, uh, man, I was so excited. I think on Monday, when I was back in the office, I woke up at 4.30, uh, just ready to go. Uh, and this morning, I think 5.30. And I just was so excited to be back. And um, I, I aspired a few things other than um, staying married and a healthy marriage to Amy, um, you know, continuing to love on my two kids, and then uh, pastoring you and teaching the Bible. Um, so I'm just glad that I'm here. You may not feel the same, but I'm really glad to be with you. And so if you're newer, we're kind of in the same boat today, um, that all this, this is a new church in a lot of ways from the one I left off in May. And a lot of you are here for the first time, and I'm really glad that you're here. So um, let me tell you what we're doing is we're going to spend the next three weeks in, uh, in a series called Form Family. I'm going to explain that in just a second. And then uh, later this fall, we're going to be spending the rest of the year going through the Book of Romans, which I'm super fired up about as well. We're going to be two very different, but um, really great sermon series to jump right back into. So let me tell you about this one, Form Family. Now, it's kind of a weird way to say it, and I think I'm allowed to critique it because I'm one of the ones that came up with that phrase, is that, uh, you know, I I don't think whenever I was asking Amy to marry her that I said, hey, you want to form family with me, um, you know, something like that. It's kind of a, an awkward way of saying it, but here's, here's why we are framing it this way, is that um, how we used to talk about it was find family, that we, the, in our discipleship um, rhythms, that you, you know, believe the gospel of Jesus, the, his death and resurrection, and then, and then find family is the next step to kind of connect relationally. But the more we talked about it, we're like, man, you don't really like find family. That's not how it works ever, is you don't just show up and be like, oh, my people, you know, uh, ever. Like it, it just, it's formed over a long period of time in the way that the Bible talks about being a family and being a community. And so we wanted our, our language to shift. And so we're going to go today is um, when we're talking about forming family, that we're going to focus especially today vertically on how God forms family, forms us into his family spiritually. We're going to start there because it's going to be our anchor for how we're going to talk horizontally about our relationships and friendships. Um, and so that, we're going to start vertical, and then the next two weeks it'll be more horizontal. But what you're going to learn today is the vertical has huge implications. Us and God, that's the vertical component, has huge implications on how we relate with one another. And so my hope is going to be that there would be something... I realize, and I'm not going to assume that everyone here is a Christian. Um, there are some of 
you that may feel a million miles away from God. Maybe you've walked away from all this. You have not believed in a lot of these things over the course of your life. So glad you're here. And my hope is going to be, is hearing the way that God relates to those who believe in in, in him is going to be very compelling and almost like woo you towards him. That's my hope. Um, And so really, and that'd be true for every person that's here today. So um, let me first talk about Um, I think the main way most of us experience loneliness is more like relational. And I've experienced that in different life stages. So I think back to where some of you are at today. When I was a college freshman, moved uh, from Fort Worth and came here, um, moved into Coleman Hall, wasn't real sure which direction I was going to go spiritually towards God or kind of the other stuff, didn't really know. Uh, but I remember going to lots of things, almost everything alone, those first couple of weeks. I mean, I'd show up to the sand volleyball pit alone and just kind of see what was going on. I'd, I showed up to church at least two times alone. Um, and I can think of a campus ministry I showed up to alone as well. And, um, and, and that's some of you are in that boat today. You may be college or not, and you came alone. And I remember that feeling of, man, like I, I really want to connect, but it's kind of weird when I don't have somebody alongside of me. Now, one thing I didn't know, just as a side story, I didn't know it wasn't a good idea to do this, but uh, at the campus ministry I showed up to alone, I was wearing a high school football shirt, and nobody told me that you don't, you're not supposed to wear like letter jackets or high school football shirts. Nobody, nobody pulled that aside. So freshmen, this is just a kind of a public service announcement to you know, put all that stuff. You can take that home on your first trip. I didn't know that, although it did kind of work out for me. I walked into that campus ministry, and uh, a dude that still is like one of my best friends to this day, right as I walked in, was like, what positions you play, you know, that kind of deal. I was like, corner. And we started talking and connected. And so then I got rid of the shirt later once I figured things out. Um, so, um, so I remember that kind of loneliness. Like we're quite literally, you're, you're alone in all these different spheres, showing up to places, going to class alone in those first few weeks. Um, and then there've been other times though in my life, like now is someone, let's just say, isn't 18 anymore and, you know, raising kids and a busy job. And, and what my day can look like is, you know, running out of the door, you know, getting kids to school and then people, 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 people. And I love it, but it's, it's a lot of people contact during the day and then go home. And then we got stuff going on, you know, kids that need to go places, Amy and I trying to connect and talk. And, and then, you know, all these things I've been with people all day long, all day long, and then I'll lay my head on the pillow, sharing a bed with another human being. And I'd like to think we have a healthy marriage too. You can ask Amy and she can give you her take on that, but I think we do. And but even with all that, I can lay my head on the pillow being with people all day long, all day long and think, I feel really lonely right now. You're like, well, how could that be? Like you're with people all day long. Like how could you, how could you feel lonely? But sometimes I do. Now here's going to be one of my working theses for today is that um, I think a lot of us, that we tend to project our, our sense of relational loneliness, like with people, the horizontal. And we tend to project that back onto God, all right? So things that we may feel, maybe family of origin things, uh, it could be a lot of different things that we tend to, and I'm gonna talk about that more in just a second, um, even relationships, how things are going, and we can assume that's how things work with God as well. Now, um, spiritually speaking, I also can feel really alone there. Um, you know, I, I share pretty regularly here. This may disappoint you, but like I, I bet there aren't a whole lot of Christians in this room right now that struggle more at a baseline with like doubt 
about a lot of the, the truths of the Bible that I do. It's just part of, I would just describe it as it's part of my faith, is that uh, just wrestling with the truth of, of God's existence as well as the claims that are in the Bible. Um, and so there are sometimes maybe because of that, God can seem very distant to me. Um, other times it's just like, look, I believe in you, but like it just feels like I'm just praying these things into the air and um, is it all real? And, and I think you are, but I, I don't, I'm not feeling that right now. And so on the vertical level, for sure, a lot of us can feel lonely as well. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at three passages today that are going to be two from Jesus, one from uh, a guy named Paul, who's one of the apostles that, that described uh, some of the implications of Jesus's life and death and resurrection. We're going to look at these three passages, and my hope is, is that we're going to see something beautiful and incredible about God forming family with us there on this vertical link that has implications for how uh, we can relate to one another, kind of like an engine, a fuel for relationships as well. So um, that just attacks that sense of loneliness at its core. So um, let's go ahead and jump into this. Matthew 18, um, this is the one that Emily read just a moment ago is where we're going to start. This is Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, um, Jesus will show you and he will tell you. So this is Jesus telling us the heart of God right here, like what he's like. Um, he says, you know, what do you think? Man has a hundred sheep. And, you know, one of, uh, there's, there's one that goes astray. Is he not going to leave those 99 and then go find the one that, that ran, went astray? And, um, and even talks about there's going to be, uh, he rejoices more over that one that was found than the 99 that stayed here. And uh, even says, it's not the will of my father who is in heaven that any of these little ones should perish. And this is really beautiful because here you're getting a sense of um, the heart of God where um, that what he does is that, I think a lot of us, again, assume, this is where our projection comes in, where we would just assume that what God would be like is that he's going to say, look, I told you, I even said in the Bible to not do these things. I already told you. And you made your bed, so now it's time to lie in it. You know, that kind of, that's what you would expect God to say is, I warned you, I told you better, but you didn't do it. And so tough, you know, kind of thing. Or maybe, uh, maybe even that if you had, this is where family of origin issues can come into play, where if you had maybe a, a very distant or even potentially negligent parents, where you just weren't even, no one even knew what you were doing or where you were or anything like that, um, you could just assume that's what God's doing, that, that he's kind of doing stuff with the other 99 and looks up and he's like, oh, I didn't even know she was gone you know, like, oh, whatever, you know, and just kind of almost like dismissive of the fact that you'd wandered away that maybe he doesn't even notice, you know, maybe he's just kind of asleep at the wheel. Or, you know, maybe on the other hand, another family of origin possibility is that you were raised with that nothing was ever good enough. You got the AB on a roll. Why isn't the A on a roll? Um, you know, you, you, had, uh, you had five assists and 10 points, but you turned the ball over twice and you're going to focus more on those two turnovers than the other things. And, and so, you know, you, you, you maybe, again, we can just spend so much of our time projecting that that, um, that God is like that and that he's, um, you know, he's, he doesn't want to talk about the good things, but he's focusing on the bad and kind of rubbing your nose in it a little bit. Um, or you're looking for love even now in relationships and you just feel like you're regularly getting rejected. Uh, you feel lonely and you just assume that God, uh, maybe he's committed to you because he died for you and he's been resurrected from the dead, but now he's kind of stuck with you, but it doesn't mean he likes you kind of thing. And you could just assume that, that that he kind of walks up to you uh, and he's like, just come on, get in the car. Let's get back to the other sheep. You know, you can almost imagine that, that that's, that's his posture. But here's the thing is that um, while I do think we tend to project our relational experiences on God, um, your emotional experience of how you imagine him to be and even your experience with human relationships, even including some broken ones within Christian circles in the church, 
It's not the final word. Like what we have to do to look and to see how God relates with us is not try to imagine what he's like based on how our human relationships are going, but rather from the Bible. And let's let God explain what God is like and how God relates to us. And Jesus tells us exactly. And that's that he goes and looks for you. And if you combine this with the rest of um, uh, the rest of the Bible, um, what you'll learn is that um, through Jesus's death and resurrection, that's the means by which he extends grace to you. He actually sends an army out looking for you. And so even if you've kind of drifted away a little bit, you know, or a lot, um, that you've just kind of ended up over here and you made a million little bitty steps, little bitty compromises, you didn't intentionally, you had no idea, you couldn't have imagined it would take you here, but you look up and you're here, um, that you're going to find a kind and compassionate God um, that just rejoices and, and brings you back and even sends, sends his people out looking for you to bring you home and to bring you back because he wants you, he loves you, um, he's not negligent, he's not angry, like he wants you, he, that, like that's the heart of the Father. He forms you into his family, and really incredible. Let's move to another one, Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And this is the Apostle Paul's way of framing, in a lot of ways, the same kind of idea about how spiritual family vertically is formed. Um, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is verse 3. Um, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So this is God being the first mover. He chose, um, you're chosen, everyone who has believed in Jesus, chosen in Christ before um, human beings had been around, before anything had happened, before that wild Saturday night, before anything, he chose you. Uh, before the foundation of the world. And then there's a, a consequence of that, like some, some changes that happen in you as a result of him being the first mover, that uh, we should be holy and blameless before him, um, that there would be a result, that you'd be set apart, there'd be something new that would change in you as a result of God being the first mover, of choosing you before the foundation of the world. Uh, a little bit more clarity, um, it says in verse 5, he predestined us for adoption. So there's the familial language right there. He forms you into his family. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So he's saying, look, I formed you. Um, and that's done through Jesus' death and resurrection. You're adopted into his family. And um, if it seems kind of sexist that only sons is used here, um, that's not the point. At that time, um, the, the ones who got all the inheritance were the, the males, like the sons. They were the ones that got the inheritance. And so that's actually the point here is men and women who believe in Jesus are, um, in, are adopted into God's family and all that's his. So heaven, eternal life. All, all that's God the Father's is now given to you as like full recipients of his inheritance. Like even though uh, with all of our choices, everything that's messed up, that he predestined, he, he chose, he, he was the first mover uh, before you. And this is really incredible and a beautiful thing that God's, God's the one that takes the initiative to form it is the point here. Now, let me tell you a practical reality of this, this idea, this reality, this doctrine that is incredible is that um, once you put your, the focus on God and not the sincerity of your faith uh, necessarily, it is a major game changer. So my wife, Amy, that I've mentioned already, uh, so she grew up in a tradition that put a lot of emphasis on like praying a prayer of salvation and really, 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 really meaning it when you do. Okay, so that was, the, that was the idea. And I'm not like, I'm not saying that all that's wrong or anything like that, but that was the point of 
of emphasis. And so, um, and she's the type that actually takes this stuff seriously. And when her faith began to, to really kind of blossom in, in high school, um, that she sometimes would see things in her life and go, oh man, I cussed on the basketball court. I wonder if that means I, if I didn't really, 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 really mean it last time. Maybe I only really, really meant it when I prayed. And so she would find herself like repraying the prayer of salvation over and over and over again and be like, all right, God, for real. And like, I know I've kind of struggled reading the Bible this week, but no, I know, I know what the problem is. And that's that I didn't really, 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 really mean it. And so this time I really do. Uh, but whenever uh, we've been married for a handful of years, when like this truth right here, and really it's the same thing that Jesus just said, if you think about it, about going and looking for the one lost sheep, that when you learn that God's the first mover and that it depends less on the sincerity of your faith, um, and by the way, when is that ever 100% pure to begin with? Uh, but rather, it depends on Christ, his death and resurrection, like it's completed and, and finished and final, and it's done for you, and he was the first mover that guaranteed it and got the whole thing going. I can tell you that it's not to say that all of her spiritual struggles went away, but feeling like she was not secure in the love of Christ went away immediately once she understood that it was God that was the first mover. He loved her, um, that God formed, uh, formed her into his family. It, it changed. She didn't, she didn't like find it. Rather, God was the one who uh, opened it and um, changed her heart in that way. A beautiful reality. And I would even say um, that every relationship for it to be good and healthy, it needs to be safe. And there is no safer relationship in the entire universe than um, God, than with one of his people, because it's guaranteed and based on what Christ has done and not on your performance. I mean, this is what makes grace, grace. And it is incredible, truly. Uh, third passage I want to look at is Jesus again. And this is at the very end of his ministry. He's about to be crucified and he's praying and he's been praying for his disciples, but now he's actually praying for you, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. But check this out, John 17, um, pick up in verse 20. I do not ask for these only. So that would be his disciples and there's about to be a pivot. And he says, but also for those who will believe in me uh, through their word, that's you. So if you've believed in Jesus, this would be, he's praying for you that they may be one, uh, so there's the horizontal dimension of love and family that could be formed, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. And I in them and you in me, uh, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you've sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. All right, so there's, let me just hit three quick points on this. I would love to preach a whole sermon. I really would right now on this, just this part. John 17 is incredible, but I'm gonna boil it down to three basic ideas um, that really underscore what we've been doing today. Uh, the first is, is that, um, that, that um, Jesus is talking to the Father and he's like, hey, you know how we were like bouncing glory off of one another um, the whole time? Uh, this is the Trinity in community. So you have Father and Son, perfect love, perfectly happy, echoing and bouncing glory off of one another. Uh, like it's incredible. And uh, we, a lot of theologians would say that you have the Holy Spirit that comes from the, uh, comes from the union of Father and Son. So you really have uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, echoing uh, praise, excellence, 
perfect satisfaction, complete happiness. And listen, they, they haven't been lonely. And I've heard that taught before even, uh, you know, from people that will say, you know, and then God was lonely and so he made people. It wasn't like he was like continuing to mix up the Rubik's Cube and playing on his phone and kind of lonely, bored until people uh, came, into, uh, came into existence. Like he was perfectly content and satisfied, lacking nothing like perfectly happy. This is a, a perfectly happy, self-sufficient God. But then what he did was, um, that brings to the second point, is you have this, the, the three persons of the Trinity, perfectly content, happy, echoing glory off of one another. Um, and then what they did is, is that in the second point is when God created people, that when, when we were brought into relationship with God, um, that was initially done with Adam and Eve, but when sin entered the world, it had to be, um, it had to be something had to be repaired. And that's why Jesus came into the world, crucified, resurrected, we're included into that. Like that's the thing is that now you are in Christ and Christ is in the Father. And it's like you're brought into um, this, this God that is now echoing um, joy, glory off of one another. And it's like you're brought into that and your soul finds satisfaction and content in God. Like that's the whole point of, uh, of why Christ came is to bring you into that, the restoring um, self-sufficient beautiful God, and you're brought into that. Like, that's the, that's the point. Like, you're included into that. You're in Christ, and Christ is in the Father, and the Father is in Christ, so you're in there. Like, you're, you're loved as much as God the Father loves the Son. You're loved that much because you're included in the Son. Like, it's almost like, no, that can't be, but it is. And so that's the second point. So you have uh, God has been echoing praise and glory off of one another for all eternity, and then the second thing is you're now included into that, and then the third thing is that now um, we, we now, because we're included in the Trinity, uh, we now um, have, uh, have this unity that would be, this is Jesus's prayer, that we would have this kind of family horizontally with one another because of this vertical link, because you've been included into God. Um, you now have this uh, like fuel and power for the horizontal relationships that are a little bit different than just me having a friend. There's something really unique and beautiful about these spiritual relationships because we've been, been formed into God's family through Jesus's death and resurrection, through the first moving of God, through the God who goes and looks for the one lost sheep. All those things come together. It's the same idea. You've been brought into that. And now because of that, Jesus's prayer is that we would have unity. And then as we have unity and love and we've been formed into his family, the world would see that God the Father has sent the Son. Like there'd be something really beautiful and authentic about uh, imperfect, but this is the design at least, because I realize it goes wrong a lot of times, uh, but this is the design. And I think this is a lot more compelling way than how we tend to talk about community. And I'm critiquing me in this. I think the way that we can tend to talk of Christian community is not wrong. It's just incomplete and not very compelling. And I'll give you at least three ways we can do that. Um, one of the ways we can talk about Christian community, and I'm talking about me from up here, is to look at snapshots of it in the Bible, like say something like Acts 2. It's all true and good. Hey, we ought to be breaking bread and you know, committed to the apostles' teaching and you know, in each other's lives and sharing our faith. And this is what it says to do, so let's go do that. I think it's all true. I think it's just incomplete to say, let's go do the things um, that the Bible says to do, so let's get with it. Um, true, just incomplete. Uh, similarly, another way we can talk about community, um, and it's not wrong. I think it's a good, a good idea, and even a biblical idea, is more of like an assimilation strategy of, hey, you're new here, you don't know anybody, so what you need to do, you'll hear something like this here in just a minute. Here's your next step. I think that's good and wise. Here's how you get connected. 
I just don't think assimilation strategies are compelling. You know what I mean? Like I want to give my life for Redeemer's assimilation strategy. I don't think, I don't think that's the best way to go. It's not incorrect. It's just incomplete. Third way would be maybe more on your end, less me. Uh, the first two would be maybe me and other pastors talking about it. The third one would be you that's more like consumeristic desires that aren't wrong. Like you want connection for you. Um, you want friends. You want um, help with your marriage. You want um, to meet other college students. You want your children. You've got a preschooler. You've got an elementary age. You've got a youth age. I want them to have people. And it's like, I, I need a class for this, class for that. I want the right kind of worship, right kind of preacher. And so it can be these kind of things that aren't wrong. I do hope you have friends. I hope your kids have friends. I hope you um, come to college gathering and have a great time. I want all those things to be true. Um, however, it's just incomplete. Um, that um, I think what's really incredible is how about if we flip this all on end and make it less, less about us, but if we flip it on end and say, this is about the glory of the Father that's been shared with God the Son from before the foundation of the earth that we've been included into. And now, now there's this vertical reconciliation with God that now fuels our horizontal relationships. It just turns everything on end that's now compelling. Like, this is why, this is why I want to be involved in a gospel community. This is why is because God's formed me in this way. And now I want these relationships. I want that kind of unity and love, um, our, the, that there'd be a horizontal family as well. Um, so look, I, here's the thing. Um, I think all of us, we do tend to project um, our relationships. I mean, I think that's the reality of it. We tend to project our relationships or maybe our past experiences with how God was spoken of uh, for better or for worse. We tend to project these things. Like I, I had one of my more powerful experiences this summer was just a realization more than anything. I mean, Landon and, and I were maybe, um, he's one of my friends here that's a member at Redeemer. We're maybe 30 miles on a helicopter ride, which is epic, uh, in Alaska, and we're floating down uh, for a week and fishing and all that. And there's one day, and I was just, I was frustrated with my lack of, like, just depth of connection with God. And it was interesting. I have a little travel journal I've been using for years and years on my backpacking trips, and I reread a lot of those trips and kind of relive them. But one thing that was interesting is I read it is like how often that theme came up. It's just kind of frustrated that I'm not connecting with God more deeply. And, and there's something nice and beautiful about that, I think, like this longing for connection. And I don't want to feel alone. I don't want to feel like he's a million miles away. But there's one morning where I had this really great realization is that, man, I'm grateful for the times where I'm able to connect with God on a really deep level. And like I can feel it and it's great and I feel close to him and I can see him in a really great and beautiful way as described in the Bible. I'm grateful for that. But I was reading a psalm one of those days, and it was talking about how um, that he's with us. Like It's like he's almost like shoulder to shoulder with us. And how about this for a thought? Is that uh, God in his presence and uh, with what he's done in all of these passages, looking for you, moving first, loving you, um, and even praying for you, that, that as he connects with us, that he's with us all the time. So when I was fishing during the day and not reading my Bible, he was with me. And when I'm talking with you back here at the back of, uh, of our sanctuary, uh, that like he's, he's with us. He's with us now. Like he's, there's never a time when I was laying my head on the bed um, after one of those exhausting days and like I wasn't alone then and I wasn't alone at Coleman Hall and you're not alone right now. Like you're never alone even for a second if you're a follower of Christ, which again is why like I just wanna, I just wanna call you that if you've never put your hope in Jesus, you don't have to be alone ever again, not for one second. Even if relationally you feel alone, that you will never be alone. Uh, what an incredible thing when God forms you into his family, you don't ever 
have to be alone again. And you have fuel for relationships in a new way, which is an awesome, awesome reality. You've been formed by God for God. And it is a beautiful thing. And I love grace. Love it. So I want to I pray. I want to pray that this would sink into us and that we'd walk in this. Lord, would you, uh, would you make these realities true? Um, that there would even be some that are wooed in to following you because of what, um, the way that you loved them, the way that you sought them out, the way that you've included them, um, you formed them. And um, that there'd be some that would start that even today. Um, and then that there'd be many others that uh, maybe have drifted away that are just returned back to you. And then there'd be new fuel for the way that we love one another. Um, just the things that we're representing on how we are in you, that, um, that there would be implications horizontally for how we love one another and how we engage one another, how we forgive one another, that uh, the glories of your grace would be uh, alive in us. So compel us, Lord, move us, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.